It is midday here on this windy Wednesday, October 13th. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Glad to be a part of your day. Thanks for tuning in to the Rural Voice of Nebraska. It's kind of a nasty day out despite the sun shining. Very windy out there. Make sure you got your hat on tight. If you're hauling something big out there, make sure just watch the road. Because, again, we're seeing 60 to 65-mile-per-hour wind gusts still. The 65-mile-per-hour wind gusts in North Platte as of last hour. We'll get more on the weather in our regional ag weather update with Paul Perkins to know how long the winds are going to stay out there. That's even knocked out power out west. We'll get more on that. Jason is giving us a quick report as he'll have state softball. That's day one in there. <laughs> Not going to be an enjoyable day out there in Hastings. We'll get more on that coming up in sports. Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are also performing on this day. But let's head out to our campus in Lincoln as our own Alex Wojcicki is now joining us today. Alex, it seems like it's a little bit warmer on your side of the state. It is a little bit warmer, but by golly, it's breezy here too. Yeah, what kind of wind gusts are you getting out there? I mean, is it uh, is it moving the building enough? You know, it's not 60 mile an hour like what North Platte has, but it's it's enough. Enough to uh, get going. Did you have any rain now? We did. We've got reports from anywhere from like a half an inch to an inch oh, okay. in eastern Nebraska. Mm. So You know, Alex, that is much better than 18 inches of snow up in the uh, Deadwood area. Yeah, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Well, what do you have coming up for us on Midday? So 1219, Rebel steps in. She's talking with the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation to share about National Farm to School Month. At 1245, I've got dairy trends from the National Milk Producers Federation. And then 117, Bryce hops in with Jeff Peterson of Harlan Farm Partners, and he's discussing discussing factors when considering hauling grain to grain buyers. Okay, a lot of good stuff coming up. Thank you very much, Alex. Appreciate it. Yep, thanks. All right, let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen, who is uh, getting ready for high school state softball. Hey, thanks, Tyler. It is a sunny and windy day in Hastings for the first day of the NSAA State High School Softball Tournament. We will have action later on this afternoon on Kimmy Country. As Cozad takes on Bishop Newman, we'll hear from Haymakers head coach Ashley Ford. Husker volleyball team who's undefeated so far in Big Ten action. Now, granted, the schedule has been uh, kind, but the Huskers back in action tonight against Indiana. That's a match we'll bring everyone at 8 o'clock here on KRVN. UNK volleyball squad had a tough one last night at top-ranked Washburn. They came up short, and there's just one Major League Baseball series left as the Dodgers stayed alive last night as they knocked off the Giants. So all of that and much more coming up in sports. Okay. Thank you very much, Jason. We appreciate it. Uh, let's turn things over to Bob Brogan, who, by the way, Bob, just real quick, side note before we get to the business report, you make a mean pot of coffee today. You made a good one. So well done for you. And I want to add, it was made with love. Well, I can tell. I can tell. It, uh, you know, I was on a ride earlier this morning. Too strong is just right. Now I agree with that. Nicely done. Continue the good work. Uh, how are the lives or how are the stocks, numbers looking? Stocks are wobbling between small gains and losses as investors are reviewing several corporate earnings reports and the latest data on inflation. Meanwhile. Another surge in consumer prices in September pushed inflation up 5.4% from where it was a year ago. And millions of retirees on Social Security will get a 5.9% boost in benefits for 2022. And importantly today, Captain Kirk, (laughs) 90-year-old William Shatner, blasted into space. One of my heroes. There you go. Officially went to space today. Oldest living American to do so. Good. Frankie Pivot. 
It is time for Regional Ag Weather Update, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Paul Perkins is joining us. Paul's a little bit windy out there. Yes, uh, those strong winds have actually moved a little bit farther to the east than expected. We did have the high wind warning for areas along and west of the line from about Valentine to Ogallala into northeast Colorado. Well, they have extended that high wind warning farther to east to also include areas from Broken Bow to North Platte. So basically, high wind warning in effect until this evening for wind gusts up to 60 to 65 miles per hour along and west of the line from about Valentine to Broken Bow, North Platte, and I believe the Imperial area also and into the Nebraska Panhandle in northeast Colorado. Uh, right now, we continue to see some wind gusts right around the North Platte area of 60 mm. to 65 mm. miles per hour. And last night and early this morning, really just depending on the time frame of where you were, you got some decent rain, most of us. Yeah, a lot of people have seen about a half an inch to an inch of rain with this system. And then, of course, turned into snow in the northwest part of the Nebraska panhandle mm-hmm. on into Wyoming. There was still a blizzard morning earlier this morning for the northwest corner of Nebraska towards the Harrison area. I looked at some road cams. It wasn't too bad, but there were some snow-covered roads. And you could tell that snow was really blowing there. Yeah, when it's dark out, it's hard to obviously see then with the blowing snow, not even easier than that. Uh, down in Kansas, we had some severe weather down there last night, uh, but it sounds like they also got some decent rain. Uh, did I even see maybe a tornado warning in certain yeah, areas? There was a tornado warning, uh, I believe towards the Quinter, Kansas area, I believe. I can't uh, remember that for sure, but yeah, definitely some strong winds. It was a radar-indicated tornado, mm-hmm. but sure. definitely some strong winds across the area. And we continue to see, and uh, just check the wind gusts are still close to 60 miles an hour towards the Shadron area, and that's where they are seeing some snow right now, still a little bit of light snow. Mm. Uh, temperatures in the upper 30s in the Nebraska Panhandle. Then we have some temperatures more so in the low 40s in northern Nebraska. A lot of our temperatures right now in the upper 40s to the low 50s in Nebraska, more so in the mid and upper 50s into northern Kansas, but still right around 64 in Lincoln. But it sounds like today is going to continue to be windy throughout most of the afternoon. Yeah, staying windy across the area. Once again, that high wind warning again along and west of a line from Valentine to Broken Bow, North Platte, and Imperial on into the Panhandle in northeast Colorado for wind gusts of 60 to 65 through 6 this evening mountain time. A frost advisory posted for central, southwest, and northeast Nebraska, along with northwest and north central Kansas for tonight. Overnight lows of 30 to 35 will result in some widespread frost, so that frost could kill sensitive outdoor vegetation if it is left uncovered. Still quite a bit of cloud cover over northwest and north central Nebraska, but we do have mostly sunny skies across much of the area today. We are on the backside today of strong low pressure lifting through the Dakotas. West and northwest winds through this afternoon expected to gust up to 50 in many areas. Once again, farther west up to around 60 to 65. Highs today about 5 to 10 degrees cooler than usual. Light winds and clear skies tonight favoring the setup for frost development by early tomorrow morning. Tomorrow slightly cooler than today but with plenty of sunshine. One more disturbance results in some slight chances of rain in eastern areas of Nebraska and Kansas for tomorrow night. Main of the system well to our south. The extra clouds with that system, though, should help to temper frost formation by Friday morning. On Friday, our highs will continue to be about 15 degrees cooler than usual. Seasonal temperatures are back with some dry weather continuing for the weekend into Tuesday with the building wrench of high pressure. Frost remains likely through Sunday morning. Saturday looks to be our coldest morning with widespread temperatures near freezing. Favorable harvest weather is indicated in the long-term forecast. The overall temperature is expected 
expected to be warmer than normal in Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. Monday through October 26th. Better chances of warmer than normal weather for Nebraska and Kansas predicted 8 to 14 days from now. Below normal rainfall predicted Monday through the 26th for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. Those better prospects for drier weather here in Nebraska and Kansas 6 to 10 days from now. Key weather factors driving the markets include a strong storm with far-reaching impacts to the U.S. and differing rain patterns in South America, an extended period of favorable harvest weather west of the Mississippi River coming to an end for time due to widespread rain today. Minnesota right now leading major production states with 83% soybean harvest completion. That's compared to the five-year average of 46%. The remnants of Hurricane Pamela will be absorbed by a cold front in the nation's midsection, leading to some heavy rain and possible flash flooding in the south-central U.S. Through tomorrow, the harvest will be hindered by rainfall that could reach three to six inches or more from central Texas into southeast Oklahoma. For the Midwest, a strong system bringing rain to the western Midwest today will weaken as it moves towards the Ohio River tomorrow and stalls out. Another system Friday and Saturday in the Midwest includes the potential for localized heavy rain and a delay in harvest. Drier weather follows next week in the Midwest with temperatures closer to normal. In the northern plains, cooler temperatures only sticking around for a couple of days before warmer conditions are back over the weekend. For central and southern Brazil, the good rains continue for full season corn and soybean planting and establishment. Drier weather would favor maturing and harvest of winter wheat, which looks to begin next week. In Argentina, rain continues to be scattered. Significant dry spots remain in Argentina that could use more rain for corn and soybean planting. Winter wheat areas still fine, but the soil moisture is drying up. Argentina expects scattered rain for today through Friday. That rain, though, unlikely to be enough before drier weather takes hold in Argentina this weekend and continues into next week. So frost is something uh, that we're now having to really discuss uh, and something that will be uh, in a majority of our listening area. Yeah, uh, that frost advisory, of course, being issued tonight. Mm. It's not issue for everybody because we've already seen some uh, sure. areas of frost sure. from like North Platte on into the Nebraska Panhandle. So you're, if you're wondering how come there's no frost advisory there, it's because they only issue it for the first frost of the season. <laughs> we won't be getting these every morning here. <laughs> Just expect it at this point that it's, it's going to happen if you're out west. And in case you're wanting some winter-like snow... Ugh. Uh, upwards of 17 inches being reported just in the northwest of Sturgis, and it's still snowing there. And uh, once again, a little bit of snow even in towards the Chadron area right now. Uh, that's not great. That's that's <laughs> a lot of snow, and it's still snowing, I believe, in that area as well. Yes, yeah, so staying very heavy up into the Black Hills there. All right. Well, for a full weather forecast, and I guess if you want to find out more about the Deadwood area, <laughs> how much is snowing, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Right, thank you very much. <laughs> Public Power District. I'm Rebel Seclojo reporting for the Rural Radio Network, and today we're catching up with Courtney Shreve, Director of Outreach Education for the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation, to talk about National Farm to School Month. Courtney, to start, tell me what National Farm to School Month is and the foundation's role in the celebration. So National Farm to School Month uh, was designated by Congress in 2010, and so it's just a celebration for um, teachers and early care and education to recognize and appreciate food and how that relates to kids and families in their communities. And so the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation uh, celebrates National Farm to School Month each year in October uh, by getting our resources and our programs out to teachers and educators to share how food is a part of their everyday life. What does some of this special programming for the month of October look like? 
The biggest program we have going on right now is our classroom visit program. We have 24 unique grade-specific lessons for teachers to choose from where an educator will go in and lead a hands-on lesson to make a connection to students about where their food comes from. So some of the topics are things like apples, uh, farm animals, beef cattle, uh, corn markets, and soybean trade. And so all of those topics relate to Nebraska state standards and how educators can use them in their classrooms. So you've been in your role for a few years. What are some of the rippling effects you have seen from this early education process about agriculture um, and how that has continued to impact youth as they grow older and, and start making more of these educated decisions? I think some of my favorite stories as I think about Ag in the Classroom and the time I've spent with the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation all relate to those in-person visits we have with students. A lot of the students that we interact with every day have no connection to agriculture. We're really reaching those Lincoln and Omaha classrooms. And so seeing that aha moment and making that connection that the corn that we see growing on the interstate is going to be used to, you know, fuel our vehicles and feed our livestock and how does that impact their daily lives is a really fun connection to see kids make. So you mentioned the impact of in-person visits. What has the transition been like from doing mostly virtual um, visits with students to kind of easing back into the classroom? For sure. Last year we were 100% virtual, and this year we're finding a good mix of both virtual and in-person. But it's exciting to see that so many teachers want those in-person lessons because they recognize how important that hands-on piece is. You know, students learn best um, by doing things, and so inviting us in um, really helps with that but our education specialists have done a fabulous job of making activities hands-on as well if they are virtual. So they'll send a kit of supplies to the classroom so that they can still participate in the activity. Speaking of education specialists, the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation has experienced some growth. What does this mean for the foundation moving forward? So the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation is growing in the sense that we have two education specialists. So Brooke Temple is our Lincoln-based education specialist, and recently we hired Emily Kammerer um, to be our Omaha-based education specialist. And so uh, we're based in those two areas because that's where the most of our requests come from. And so they are the two that are traveling into classrooms and making those connections with teachers. That was Courtney Shreve, Director of Outreach Education for the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation. For more information about the Ag in the Classroom program or National Farm to School Month, you can visit nefbfoundation.org. Broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It is time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, the State High School Softball Tournament is underway in Hastings. Classes A and B started up this morning. For the 16th time in school history, Kozad is qualified. Haymakers will take on 30-2 and top-seeded Bishop Newman today in Class C. Head Coach Ashley Ford talks about how they'll approach this one. I think we just focus on, you know, focus on us and um, coming in with what got us here and, you know, playing hard and leaving it out on the field. I, I'm pretty confident. I'm glad on 
I'm glad I'm on, on Kozad's side and not any other. My complete interview with Coach Ford can be found on the podcast page at krvn.com. We will bring you that Kozad matchup today with the Cavaliers at 2 on Kimmy Country. Elsewhere in the afternoon, Carney Catholic takes on St. Cecilia as well. Following a successful road trip to the East Coast, three Nebraska players were honored this week by the Big Ten. Maddie Kubik was named Big Ten Co-Player of the Week. Nicklin Hames was tabbed Big Ten Center of the Week. And Lexi Rodriguez was recognized as the Big Ten Fred of the week. After a midseason swoon, the Huskers have now won six in a row to lead the Big Ten standings at 6-0. and They'll try to keep it going tonight as they will take on Indiana. We'll bring you that game at 8 here on 880 KRVN. 15th-ranked UNK volleyball squad continued to struggle last night on the road against top-ranked Washburn. It just has a wonderful team. The Lopers were close but lost all three sets 25-22. They'll look to get back on track this weekend. They're back at home when they host Pittsburgh State on Friday and Missouri Southern on Saturday. Solid Big 12 defenses are making a comeback. In a league with a long history of high-scoring football games, several teams are making their marks on the other side of the ball. Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State rank in the top 12 nationally in rushing defense. The Cyclones are third nationally in total defense and lead the conference in many other categories. T. Patterson says that while offenses have held an advantage over the years, the defenses are starting to catch up. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have removed Super Bowl winning coach John Gruden from the team's ring of honor at Raymond James Stadium. Gruden resigned as coach of the Raiders Monday night following the discovery of emails that he sent containing some very inflammatory comments. He led the Bucks from 2002 through 2008 and is its winningest coach in team history. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Legislature's Revenue Committee has been looking at ways of reforming the state's tax structure. Various organizations testified before the committee a couple weeks ago with a full range of ideas, with many of the proposals calling for a broadening of the sales tax base. Open Sky Policy Institute Representative Craig Beck says his organization also proposed applying the sales tax to a wider array of goods and services. The subject of the hearing was, you know, what what did we think were the biggest issues with our tax code? Uh, did we think there were any issues with the current income and sales taxes? And, and again, we focused on on the property tax uh, issue, the, the lack of state aid going to local governments. And then furthermore, we also said that we would support a sales tax base expansion in order to pay for the uh, increase in state aid that that so many reports going back in time have suggested. Beck says Open Sky would support using extra revenue from the sales tax base expansion to make sure the current property tax credit system, which will approach nearly $1 billion over the next fiscal year, is sustainable. With prices surging worldwide for heating oil, natural gas, and other fuels, the U.S. government said today it expects households to see jumps of up to 54% for their heating bills from last winter. The sharpest increases are likely for homes that use propane, but others are also likely to see big increases. Homes that use natural gas, which makes up nearly half of all U.S. households, may spend $746 this winter, 30% more than a year ago. A forecast for a colder winter means people will likely be burning more fuel to keep warm, on top of paying more for each bit of it. 
The Food and Drug Administration is wrestling with how to decide on booster doses of the single-shot Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. Other manufacturers want to offer boosters six months after primary vaccination, but J&J proposed a range of times from two months to six months. In a review posted today, FDA scientists didn't reach a firm conclusion citing shortcomings with J&J's data. On Thursday and Friday, an FDA advisory panel will recommend whether to back boosters of both the J&J and Moderna vaccines. An extra dose of Pfizer's vaccine already is available to certain Americans. In other news for the COVID-19 vaccine, AP correspondent Julie Walker reports Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order on Monday to prohibit any entity, including private business, from enforcing a COVID vaccine mandate on workers. Abbott previously barred vaccine mandates by state and local government agencies, but until now had let private companies make their own rules for their workers. It was not immediately clear if his latest executive order would face a quick court challenge. Texas has seen a recent decrease in new COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations, but a rising death toll from the recent surge caused by the Delta variant has the state rapidly approaching 67,000 total fatalities. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen. This station. The dairy industry's gains in year 2020 were steady in a year that was anything but. That's the message from the National Milk Producers Federation. And today we're getting all of the details with Alan Birga. He's the Senior Vice President of Communications. Alan, first of all, I know you guys are really busy, so thanks so much for taking time to chat. Thank you. Let's start off this conversation, 30,000-foot perspective, Alan. Tell us about an overview of 2020 trends for the dairy industry. Well, it's interesting when you look at what a turbulent year it was for dairy and for everyone. Um, But within the dairy sector, you know, you had some really fluctuating prices. You had very disrupted markets and supply chains. You know, where people were getting their milk and, and how they were consuming it was very different from month to month. And yet... When you look at the big numbers overall for the year in the aggregate, it comes out somewhat surprisingly smoothly. We saw a small increase in U.S. per capita dairy consumption in 2020, according to USDA data. This is the third year in a row of increased data, and it continues to see dairy consumption at higher levels than what we've seen since well, 1960. So this is a very good year for dairy despite all of the turbulence. Um, and, and it really does make you understand that in the end, no matter what else was going, people were looking for something that was steady, stable, consistent, and dairy helped fill that need. So that's dairy as a whole. Break this down for us into dairy products. What did that look like? Yeah, it's interesting when you look then underneath the top line and, and you see the trends. Um, what you saw was a, a continued increase in butter consumption. Um, butter continues to be seeing gains. It's now at 1960s levels of per capita consumption. Yogurt rebounded a bit. Um, yogurt per capita consumption had been trending down somewhat over the last few years, but it jumped back up. Ice cream rose as well. Um, and that's, of course, <laughs> you have to think about people's pandemic behavior. I mean, what's a pandemic without ice cream? Just like what's pandemic with, with, without, you know, butter and baking. Um, but also striking is the trend in fluid milk. You know, a lot of times when people have talked about, oh, dairy isn't what it once was and consumers don't want dairy like they used to, what they do is they point at a decades-long trend of declining per capita fluid milk consumption as evidence for that. 
In 2020, fluid milk consumption actually stayed constant per capita, which when you think about you know, all of the school lunch programs that got disrupted, um, the shortages there were for a brief period of time during the pandemic when, when milk was flying off of shelves, that's really striking um, that that trend was, was at least arrested for one year this year. It just shows, again, people turn to, to what is reliable, affordable, safe nutrition, and, and fluid milk was part of that mix. We're visiting with Alan Burga. He's the National Milk Producers Federation Senior Vice President of Communications. Alan, let's look at this the past, I don't know, call it five years or so. Obviously, last year was a weird year to look at trends. Tell me about the trends from the last five years or whatever it is. Butter continues to be a real gainer. You know, there was a period of time when you had uh, dietary science on fats, especially um, making people, you know, avoid what what was we what we all knew along was was a high quality product. Um, butter continues to benefit from the revised science on di- the value of dietary fats. I would actually say that's been helping fluid milk as well because you see whole milk consumption rising over the last few years. Again, that that fear of higher fat varieties has been evaporating over time. Um, yogurt, you know, has not been performing quite as well per capita over the last few years. But again, 2020 saw a change to that trend. You saw um, levels of yogurt consumption going back to where it was about five years ago. Cheese, um, cheese consumption overall was was flat in terms of, of 2020 data. But that has been such a long-term rise story over the last 50 years that that needs to be kept in perspective as well. Um, you know, cheese was something that a lot of food insecure families turned to in the pandemic. It was something that was offered through the USDA um, food box program. At the same time, you know, a lot of cheese is consumed at retail um, in terms of buying it at a restaurant, for example. And, and restaurants weren't open the same way. So there were a lot of cross currents within cheese, but the overall trend in, in, in that has also been positive. Interesting. All right, Alan, moving forward, what is the dairy industry going to be looking at for these trends? Well, you know, you, you try to see what, what people are doing and, and, and capitalize on it. If you see more home baking, we would expect that some of that will continue even post-pandemic as, you know, things like restaurant um, attendance is, is not necessarily going to spring back quite the way that it was before. So you see that. Um, you also see, given that, that fluid milk has stabilized a bit, you know, you want to see how you can build on that. I think a lot of parents rediscovered the joys of breakfast cereal and giving milk to their kids at home. Hopefully that can be a supplement to school meals. Um, and, and above that, all, you, you want to be taking a look at what dairy story is, even beyond what the consumption trends were, but what we learned about consumers during the pandemic. You know, we know that this is something people turn to when the chips are down. This is something that people um, look for when they're looking for affordable nutrition um, for themselves and for their families. And that's some marketplace clues that, that I think we can capitalize on taking a look in the years forward. And, and by the way, we're not even getting into anything we've seen in the export markets. Um, Exports are on pace this year for a record, so there's a positive story there, completely separate from everything we've been talking about. Absolutely. Alan, as we round out this conversation, what else is important to mention, I guess, that we haven't touched on? Well, I think what's important to note is that 2021 was a heck of a year. Um, 2020 was even challenging, more, more so. 
Um, and that, you know, we're trying to right now synthesize some of the lessons we've learned in terms of consumer behavior, in terms of the interaction of government programs with dairy producers. There's a lot to absorb still from these past couple of years that we've been in, but the initial signs are very encouraging, and, and there's something that we can care, carry with us, you know, as dairy is, as, a, as an industry is working toward, you know, ensuring greater prosperity for its, its members and, and for consumers. Uh, all right. That's a look at trends in the dairy industry for year 2020 and beyond. Thank you so much, Alan. Take care. Again, we've been visiting with Alan Bierga. He's the National Milk Producers Federation Senior Vice President of Communications. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska's Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. An Imperial. Stocks are mixed in afternoon trading on Wall Street as investors review review earnings and inflation data. With the business report, I'm Bob Brogan. The broader market started the day with gains, then shifted to slight losses before leveling off. The S&P 500 rose one-tenth of a percent. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell two-tenths of a percent. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq rose four-tenths of a percent. Delta Airlines fell 5.5% after it warned that higher fuel and labor costs could affect its profitability going forward. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note fell to 1.55%, even after the government reported another jump in consumer prices last month. The jump in consumer prices in September pushed inflation up 5.4% from where it was a year ago, matching the highest shift higher since 2008 as tangled global supply lines continue to create havoc. The Labor Department says consumer prices rose four-tenths of a percent in September from August, as the costs of new cars, food, gas, and restaurant meals all jumped. Millions of retirees on Social Security will get a 5.9% boost in benefits for 2022, the biggest cost-of-living adjustment in 39 years, follows a burst in inflation, As the economy struggles to shake off the drag of the coronavirus pandemic, the COLA increase amounts to $92 a month for the average retired worker, according to estimates released today by the Social Security Administration. The increase affects household budgets for about one in every five Americans, nearly 70 million people, including Social Security recipients. Meanwhile, with prices surging worldwide for heating oil, natural gas, and other fuels, the U.S. government saying today it expects households to see jumps of up to 54% for their heating bills from last winter. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm... Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined by Jeff Peterson of Heartland Farm Partners, serves as the president of the group. And Jeff, we want to talk today about some of the factors to consider when hauling unsold grain to a grain buyer. Certainly a timely topic, as as we know, a lot of trucks and tractors are hauling grain into town and sitting in that line at the elevator. So what are some of those factors we need to be thinking about, Jeff? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that we always want to think about when we're dealing with those unsold bushels is that the first of all gets to be on the discount schedules. You know, there does get to be some differences. So as you're thinking about what that bid is at your local buyer, 
keeping track of what they're going to charge you for moisture and, and also what they're going to do on, on any of those discount schedules is important because maybe your best bid isn't necessarily the one with the highest price. The other thing is ultimately gets to be, you know, what are your contracting alternatives once you get to that elevator? You mentioned discount schedules. How different do those vary from one elevator to another? You know, early in the season, there could be some big differences. Uh, for instance, if someone needs corn really bad, you could have it to where they are just really just shrinking those bushels on the corn side. And normal shrink uh, coming out of the fields about 1.2 percent, um, you know, per point of moisture, and so they might be charging 1.5 percent. But you know, you'll generally see some differences on the moisture side. Everything else really doesn't come into play or, or change too much, and it's usually not that big a factor. Well, Jeff, let's talk about some of the differences in terms of contracts that are available out there for unsold grain at different buyers. You know what? You run into a full range there because mm-hmm. you do end up having, if you're coming at those unsold bushels, the first thing you have to kind of think about for yourself is that what's your opinion on the market? Are you looking for somewhere so you can hold on to the bushels and, and try to get a, a higher cash price down the road? Or, you know, are you looking for somewhere to get some better basis? And that really kind of opens up, you know, what you're focusing on for those contract alternatives. So here's what we could find. We could end up finding some buyers that just when you haul it in, you're physically going to have to sell it. And then the next thing we have after that gets to be ones where, you know, you may want to hold on to those bushels, but they're going to charge um, a storage fee or delayed pricing fee that's going to amount to multiple months. So it could be two or three months. So for instance, you could have uh, a situation where they might say, you know what, if you want to hold on to these beans, it's going to be 25 cents a bushel to get to January 1st. But then you get to some others that are probably a little bit more friendly on that, and they might just charge five cents a month, and they might prorate it daily. So you got to really watch there. But the other difference we run into, if you're thinking about just holding on to the bushels for a, a higher cash price, is that do I want to go storage or do I want to go delayed pricing? And really, for most producers, that really doesn't matter. What you should focus on there is that which one is going to be a little cheaper and delayed pricing is a little cheaper usually. The other thing you come into play there is that ultimately, usually at delayed pricing, they're just going to bring the moistures back to the 15% on the corn and 13% on beans. But if you decide to go storage, they may actually want to take it all the way back to 14.5 on corn or 14 on corn. So they may want to go ahead and shrink it additionally. The other thing we want to think about is that if you're friendly on basis, and we are friendly on basis, we think post-harvest we're going to see basis improve. One of the other things to think about is that if you bring your bushels in and put it on a delayed pricing contract, at some point down the road, if you want to set the basis on that, will that go ahead and stop the delayed pricing charges? Most grain buyers that will do that, but it doesn't necessarily happen at all of them. So those are some of the common things that you're physically looking for on the different contracts price. That is Jeff Peterson, who serves as the president of Heartland Farm Partners. Our conversation was pulled from a video segment we do each Monday morning. We call Monday Morning Markets a chance to look at the markets. Join us each Monday by watching that video at RuralRadioNetwork.com. Broadcasting inside the Nebraska Soybean Works Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 4900. Play patent on the Rural Radio Network as we take a check at the closing grain market with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, coming into the close, a lot of red on the screen. Most notably, though, that wheat market, which yesterday wheat was kind of the shining light on the hill as corn and soybeans were under pressure. What changed the market's attitude today? Well, 
you know, I think overbought market there over in Europe. We've seen some pullback. Uh, market might have been concerned a little bit that Egypt didn't buy. So, you know, we talk a lot about e- uh, Egypt and, and what they, what the prices they pay, just them being the biggest importer. And they didn't like what they saw yesterday from the tender they got yesterday morning. That was high. It was higher than the one they had before, essentially at a decade high. And they walked away from it. So nothing was, was done. Just a little bit of a shot at the market. And then I think you have, um, you know, the, the CPI numbers were really strong again. And that's indicating the need for a rate hike. And I think that's bearish. In the short run, you know, commodities like weak because it only strengthened the dollar. So short term, uh, you know, maybe a pullback down to the low sevens for that July contract. That's been where we were. Uh, and, you know, I like to think corn can bottom. You know, we, we saw some, some good volume today, but I think we probably need to get to the November options expiration uh, and see kind of where beans are here in the shorter run. Let's see if some, some buying would unfold down here, uh, you know, with meal below 310 and, and beans below 1190 on, on the November contract. Often we look at the futures market on a daily basis, but is the cash market telling us anything about physical supply and demand of the market right now? Oh, I mean, this is the, this is the harvest. So you see some movement. I've heard strong, stronger basis out west, but uh, it's difficult to kind of find a, a gauge of, of how strong they would be relative to normal times of the year. This is a supply market in now in the short run, um, and we've got speculators kind of running for the hills to a certain degree. Uh, I think the CPI numbers this morning have more of the macro traders thinking that, you know, rate hikes are coming. And um, it's a weird, it's going to be a weird deal how, how this all works out, uh, given, you know, I'm walking around down, downtown Chicago with empty buildings still uh, everywhere. So you, you have to think the folks who are going to be on the other side of that rate rate hike or any type of monetary tightness will, will, will feel it. And that's where you worry about, you know, recessions and things like that. So short term, I think, um, you know, We've digested a lot of data here in the last couple of days. I would imagine beans find a floor here somewhere, you know, when meal hits 300. So that's the number to watch, I think, when you're looking at beans. Uh, but besides that, uh, I think corn has, um, you know, significant amount of upside once we get through the harvest. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst there with StoneX. Learn more StoneX.com. Do remember, though, the trained future options of all risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Catch John again as a podcast when you visit our website, RuralRadioNetwork.com. Again, the broader grain complex settlements roll in. All grains will end in the red. Thank you, Clay. That'll wrap up midday here on this Wednesday, catch the Midday Podcast in its full form, available later today at krvn.com.